one game too far for Norwich City then. Their unbeaten run in the Championship comes to an end with a thrilling question mark. Uh, 3-2 defeat against uh, Preston North End. Certainly one that the statistics and uh, anybody inside Carrow Road probably didn't anticipate a five-goal thriller against the Championship's lowest scorers and also best defence. Uh, quite a unique challenge that Norwich City um, had to deal with and in in the end it didn't uh, end up perhaps in the way that we expected. Welcome to this weekend's uh, Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast in association with Future Radio. Uh, I'm Connor Southwell. We're joined by Samuel Seaman and Paddy Davitt to reflect on uh, Norwich City's first home defeat of the season, uh, their first defeat since August as I said when, when they lost against uh, Hull City. Pad, did it feel like an afternoon where Norwich City's luck that they've had in recent games probably ran out? Is that probably a fair way to assess what we saw today? Yeah, I'm done about luck running out because, you know, a lot of those results of a positive nature were, were kind of founded in just resilience, almost doggedness, um, sheer bloody mindedness, rather than that labouring the debate that seems to be ad nauseum at the minute around Norwich with the performances and the control and the composure which singularly haven't been there not for long spells in games and I think today it was more a case of the the that wasn't that that constant continued i.e you know they tailed off alarmingly after a very very bright 15-20 minute start but what wasn't there today was that resilience and that dogginess uh, just to by hook or by crook eke out another result and um you know, you touched on that August whole defeat. That was notable for some horrendous self-inflicted charitable defensive concessions. You remember the Max Aaron's clearance or Aaron's clearance, sorry, that smacked, I think, Omabamadeli and dropped for a stupid hand to, to rifle home at, at Hull. Well, we've seen that again today, that trait uh, for certainly the second and third goals, but even Dean Smith after the game, you know, he felt the first goal was, was a sloppy one in his parlance. So... Yeah, I think it was more of the same in terms of the bittiness and the disjointed nature of the performance. But what wasn't there today was, you know, that they found a way. And um, that aspect, for me, has been coming because I think it is asking a lot to go game after game, go to the well and dredge something when you're not really... For the player they've got, the level of player, the quality in the squad, not really imposing yourself on opponents at this level. Um, And the concern now is, you know, they go to Watford next weekend if they don't get a result there you know then ultimately and you know you felt felt that frustration in the ground again at the final whistle today smattering of booze nothing nothing untoward but you know the atmosphere was completely dead for the duration and um you know what's been I think insulating them to a degree is the fact that they have been getting the results they have been getting the points you know even tonight they're still by dint of Sheffield United getting beat joint top so again you know everything has to be caveated with well take a look at the league table take a look at the points on the board but I think we all felt the underlying concerns that were there are not going to go away until we actually see some evidence of that And, and what we saw today was when they throw in those charitable concessions um you know they're probably going to fall the wrong side of the results, and if they fall the wrong side of these next two or three, four games against the likes of Watford and Burnley and Sheffield United, then you know it won't be enough just to look at the league table because that will be looking a lot less uh, healthy than it is at the moment. So yeah, um, alarm bells would be too much, I think, off off the back of one defeat. But you know it does graphically illustrate that you know 
there are there are some serious structural issues in terms of the personnel where they're playing on the pitch, what Dean Smith's trying to do with that group, um, and they're not going away. And you know they couldn't mask it today against a very well organised, well coached, dare I say, Preston side. Yep, I, I would agree. It's, it's interesting because, you know, you mentioned the ad nauseum debate that we're having and I fear we're, we're about to have it again, really, um, in terms of what I'd describe maybe as certainly what I'm going to phrase as kind of football theory and football actuality in terms of, I don't think it's a statement that too many people will disagree with. If you have a high level of performance, even if you lose games initially, I think the, the common consensus is essentially those two things align. You tend to get results that reflect your, your performances overall. What we've seen, obviously, this season is is probably a broken link between those. Norwich City have maybe been getting better results than perhaps some of their performances have have warranted. I've actually felt they, they've played worse than they did today and won football matches. So, I mean, it's... It, 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 it is interesting and that's kind of probably what I meant by luck, Sam, really, in terms of the fact that not not that Norwich City's position or points tally is lucky, but just the fact that maybe that they've been able to get results even though performances haven't been there. That's that's maybe the element of it. And I don't want to necessarily slip into this debate again, but it I think it is a concern now, isn't it? Because we've seen a block of games, what was this, the 13th game of the season, and we're yet to see those things that Paddy mentioned, a clear structure, a clear plan, a clear idea, um, consistency. I mean, Dean Smith spoke about control after Reading. They didn't really have a lot of control today in terms of how they set up. So so what, what did you make of this? If we frame it in terms of that debate, performance style over substance, performance versus results, where would you place what we saw today in, in that? I thought it was pretty much average compared to what they've been producing um, this season and this is what Norwich fans have almost been warning each other about perhaps the more pessimistic um, quadrant of that support has been saying that this is going to happen and and they've been proven right today Um, I think what that lack of performance and uh, reliability in terms of general play means is that you can't afford to make mistakes really Um, we saw Norwich get away with one one big one at Blackpool actually when um, Andrew Obamadeli gifted the ball um, to a Blackpool player and somehow managed to, to dig himself out of that hole. But yeah, as I said, it doesn't really give you any room. And then when they go and make two, three mistakes today, um, Preston have a, a decent striker in Emil Reese and he punishes them. Um, so I thought the problems with relying on grinding things out and perhaps not being at your fluid best, um, I thought all those problems reared their heads um this afternoon, but I don't think it was especially poor compared to what they've been producing. And that's not me trying to justify um, today. I thought they were actually still pretty bad today and uh, not not near the standard that you'd hope they'd be with the quality of squad they've got compared to the, the other teams at this level. But, you know, all I'm saying is this is what's been coming, really. This is the, the sort of performance Norwich City have been producing all season long. They make one or two more mistakes than they have been in this nine game unbeaten run and they're punished um, and that's the sort of thing you perhaps associate with the Premier League but I think it, it probably actually numbers wise the difference is in the Premier League they make two or three mistakes and they probably concede one or two goals um, at this level they make five or six or seven mistakes big mistakes as they did this afternoon and they, they concede three so yeah I think the only reliable way um, to consistently feel that you can get results um not just with the um the, the the veil of momentum or not making mistakes is to improve that performance level dean smith himself has spoken about how 
he doesn't necessarily worry about results too much that the the consistency of performances and the level of performances is important to him and I thought exactly why he's right in saying that um, was laid bare for all to see this afternoon because they haven't been on it for 10 games or however however long the championship season has gone maybe is it 13 games now they haven't been on it for 13 games um and or maybe 12 11 or 12 and today they've they've paid for that and it was always going to happen at, at some stage you weren't going to be able to rely on the individual quality because you know you look at Gabriel Sara um you know reportedly potential 10 million pound player scores you a goal um Josh Sargent again getting up towards those sorts of figures in what they paid for him scores you a goal but they they make mistakes um to concede three really poor goals and uh you know, there's the only way you can account for that, as I've said, is is to improve that performance, and uh, that's certainly what what Dean Smith will hope to do in the long term. But it's going to be difficult because they've got, I think, midweek games now. The next three weeks, and the the level of fixture is only going up in terms of its difficulty. So, you know, hard to see a, a way out of this in the the short term. But if they can grind out results for the next few weeks, maybe get to the World Cup break or, or period, as I'm sure Smith would would prefer, we referred to it, and uh, perhaps improve those elements. Then they might be in a better position. But right now, um, the fact that they've been made to pay for, for the sorts of performances they've been putting in all season is is quite worrying for Norwich fans, I imagine. Yeah, I think it, I think it's it's something to be aware of, isn't it? It's um, because we can we can wrap it in 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 context that maybe it needs to needs to be placed in because. Daniel Farkas title winning teams lost games, other teams lose games and go on to win titles. Teams who get relegated win games. That's uh, that's that's the nature of football. As as poor as No City were last year, they won what four or five. Um, goodness me, but they 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 still won games. Um, so I mean to to place it in isolation, it's probably a result that we're only going to learn the significance of in the coming weeks. Oh, maybe even post Watford, post Luton, post post Burnley, and then we'll look at whether or not this was the moment where we began to see that sort of unbroken chain really start to, to, to affect them, or whether this is just maybe what it could be, which is one defeat in a game where they, they made individual errors. So it, it feels like one that we're going to sort of know more about as time progresses. Yeah, I mean, you, as, as I said in my first comments, really, you can't, after that 90 minutes, you know, extrapolate um, a, a definitive trend, uh, and it probably will take, given the the run that's coming up to get to the other side of that and then look back and and then you can draw some more definitive conclusions. But, you know, if, what what's more alarming for me on today's evidence was that for 15 minutes, tweeted it at the time, I thought that was as, as cohesive a period as I can remember Norwich in terms of attacking midfielders and the forward players. Players seemingly in comfortable positions. There was a rhythm. There was a fluidity to what they were trying to do. You could see it. It looked like the players were really enjoying themselves. You know, Josh Sargent down the middle. We all know, you know, however cryptic he may may be when asked about it, he wants to play down the middle. It's obvious. Um, and, and he's got another goal today, two minutes in. Could have had a hat-trick within, within 10 minutes. It was uh, almost implayable. Against a team, it's worth reiterating, you know, that, that goal that they conceded to Sargent after two minutes, first away goal they've conceded in the league all season. Um Pookie alongside him, you know, he, he looked like he, he was actually relishing having, you know, a player of Sargent's physicality um, to offer a slightly different dimension. Not all the onus is on him as it was against Reading earlier in the week. And then behind them, it was, you know, it looked like we felt it was a Diamond Smith sort of corrected us a little bit and said after the game, it was Gibbs sitting deeper in front of the back four and then a three of Ramsey, Nunes, McLean. 
Yeah, but you know, as he said, he played cards, and uh, that that wasn't a diamond. So uh, you know, there you go. But ultimately, whether it was a diamond or whether it wasn't, um, that first fifteen twenty minutes, you thought, my my God, we're here now. We, you know, we've clicked in terms of the top end of the pitch, and for it then to to sort of tail away as it, as it did for the remaining seventy odd minutes. I mean, yes, Norris still went on and created chances, but that fluidity and that sort of connection, which we. I certainly would have been looking to see a lot more of this stage by this stage of the season. That was absent, and by the end, it was just we remarked on it during the game. It was just seemingly throwing on individual pieces onto the chessboard and then hoping something would happen. You know, Sonani, Zara, um, Dowell, Hernandez, um, and that's not risk. You know, that's not really the the kind of the progressive development of a strategy or an approach that you'd like to see. I mean, for me. Part of the reason was obviously Preston and how they responded, and you could see how good they were across midfield areas. But you know, I thought about this after the game when they got one nil up and they're playing really well, and they could have scored two, could have scored three, but they hadn't. You then need to be able to manage the game better, and you, you look at that midfield today, and as as cohesive as they looked, take Kenny McLean out. You've got three players out, twenty two years or under, with very little championship experience, very little English experience in Nunes. Gibbs and Ramsey, all in individually very talented boys who will go on, but they haven't got the experience. They haven't got the, the miles on the clock, and dare, dare we say it without labouring the point, although it's relevant given that you know you saw him after the game in a little training drill. Isaac Hayden in that mix there, in that type of game, at that stage of the game, maybe that's what they need. Maybe they need that calmness and that ability just to take the heat out of it and kind of do disrupt or do whatever to break Preston's rhythm. And then... Norwich can come again and maybe get another goal before half time and, and and on they go from there. So, you know, we can dissect it as much as we want, but but fundamentally, um, they were onto something that first 15, 20 minutes and they let it slip. And I think one of the factors is that inexperience and lack of nous and, and leadership as well. Even in the second half, I looked at it and it was so quiet and so passive, you know, probably just before the Sara goal, actually. So you're looking for a spark, you're looking for an inspiration, inspirational figure and, and you look across that Norwich team and there wasn't one really you know Grant Hanley he's not a demonstrative leader he leads by example um, Tim Krull's obviously having a difficult afternoon it's not going to come from him you've got McLean shifted out to left back who in those midfield or forward areas Pookie by by his personality isn't one of those who's going to sort of pick up a team and, and drag them through so you know I think they are missing that element of you know a streetwise operator or two in key areas of the park and, and probably Hayden was earmarked as that person. So without, you know, wishing our life away, the, the sooner he gets in that Norwich team and, and is able to influence it, I think the better for all concerned because it just felt the way that game was set up, if they'd had a Hayden type in there today, it might have been a different outcome. Yeah, I might I might come back to how they chased the game because I was I was quite uh, frustrated about what what they did and how they approached it. Um, for me, it's just I'll come back to it. But Sam, um, again, to, to to look at the game because you know we, we had before this game, Deason Smith taking questions. Don't you ask them, Paddy, about popularity and uh, and maybe the feeling around him? And there's still a feeling in some quarters. We must stress, not in all quarters, but certainly in some that the football's not great to watch, that they don't look particularly well coached, that some people don't necessarily see the direction they're heading in. Others are, are relatively happy and, and feel he's doing a good job. So, you know, it's important to balance those two off. But um, it it still feels like we're yet to really see, in terms of clear structure, plan consistently, what this Norwich City team is. And that's that's quite a concern given we're 
however far into the season, we're 13 games into the season. I mean, that's that's not a, a small block of games, is it? The fact we're still talking about this kind of mismatch between performances and lack of consistency and also lack of control that Paddy touched upon there. It's not great, is it? For a team that should be, you know, or, or is expected by many to go and, and get promoted this year. No, I remember start of the season, actually, um, a lot of our discussion was around 10 games is when you start looking at the league table. Um, and I remember saying at the time, hopefully even before that, we'll be able to look at a Norwich performance and uh, say this is what they can produce and this is what a Norwich City team is. And as you said, three games after that barometer by which a lot of people will decide is the, is the time to really judge teams and really say that they can assess what they are. We still don't really know what a Norwich team is and the bad news for people who are keen to support a team that they know is, is going to play a certain way when they turn up week after week is that I don't think that's coming under Dean Smith, unfortunately. Um, you know, and that's no fault of his own. That's a, a policy that plenty of managers and coaches across the, the country will take out. But his style is when by any means necessary. And as soon as I say that, I know there will be people saying, you know, you've you've banded him in with managers who... He's he's perhaps slightly better than in terms of style, and I think phrases like that are often associated with you know long ball merchants and Sam Allardyce and uh, Tony Pulis and those types. But I think it's just that Smith isn't wedded to a particular philosophy. So yes, if it took um, copious amounts of long balls to win a game, and he was very sure that was going to win a game, I think he would do that. But also he said as much, hasn't he? Well, yeah, but, but that also I think his his pragmatism is such that if it took a thousand passes to beat a team, he'd also take that. So I don't think we're going to see a Norwich City side that particularly does one thing um, well or focuses on one thing. And the unfortunate thing for Dean Smith is that he's followed up Daniel Farker, who was perhaps the first man to really take Norwich City and um, envelop it in his own philosophy and his own ideas and insist that his players stuck to that. He would regularly come out in the press when um, players made mistakes or you know passing out of the back went wrong and, and there were individual errors that led to goals. He would say, it's on me and I've, I've told the players to play this way. And he'd often launch you know multi-minute defences of players who had been criticised for these sorts of things. You're not going to get that from Dean Smith because... What he wants is the best thing for the team in every way. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Daniel Farker thought that over the long term, if you can establish a, a playing style that players know exactly what they're doing going into every game, he thought that that would mean that over time they would have a, a greater chance of winning. But Dean Smith is is very different. So it's not that I'm saying it's unrealistic of fans to to expect that because they've already seen it and it would be unfair for us to say that you can't do that because it's very clear that you can. Norwich finished with, I think, 94 points in the 2018-19 season with a, a very clear philosophy and a squad that cost much less than this current Norwich squad does. So it's certainly possible, but that's just not what you're going to get from Norwich City's current head coach. And uh, I saw a lot of reaction on social media actually after this um, this game calling for Dean Smith's head and you know they've just gone nine games unbeaten and I think that shows you how fragile things can be when you base things solely on results and we've spoken about this before about if you're not putting in the performances and you don't have a recognisable style and fans don't relate to you in another way like they maybe did with Farker with the wave or certain personality They're just not connecting with it are they? No, no they're not and um, for that reason Norwich are 
they're totally in the hands of results and they're putting everything on, on those results in a variety of departments, really. So, but, uh, yeah. Just to interrupt, it also makes everything feel on a knife edge because you have to win. And, and if you don't win, then we end up in a situation where we are today where everything's bad and it's his fault or it's their fault and this is yep. broken. So it, it's like... If you play that way, as you say, you have to win because if not, then everything else, you kind of have to take everything else that comes with it. Yeah, you're right. And there's a tension around Carrow Road. There's a, an anger almost immediately as soon as Norwich can see the goal. And I remember as a fan watching Daniel Farker teams and uh, almost finding it amusing when Norwich would go goal down because it was like the, it was the drama of Norwich and it was, oh, of course they had to do it this way. Whereas at the moment, it's, you know, that anger is palpable and it's straight away as soon as a goal goes in the fans are ready to call for the heads of the, the players and Dean Smith and his staff because, as you said, it's all based on results. That's why things feel so bleak now because, bigger picture, Norwich, as we've spoken about, are in the promotion places. Um, they're not too far away from pulling away if they if they really wanted to and if they can show the quality that they've got individually. But because it's all based on results, as, you, as you've said, and it's all based on a knife edge... Um, one loss feels crushing and, and I think that's probably the mood Norwich fans will have across Norfolk um, this evening. It's so interesting. It's so interesting. This I've not encountered a situation like this before, I think, maybe, maybe ever. Um, the, the closest thing I can relate to is what we spoke about in terms of the Alex Neal season where they kind of flew out of the blocks and then had... And everyone was kind of, oh, yeah, but it's not right still. But it, it still wasn't this amount of... I don't know, uh, maybe apathy is the wrong word, but certainly disconnect it just doesn't feel like Norwich fans are having it and there is a tension and there is there's a it's a weird feeling around Carrow Road isn't it Pat at the moment and it was actually Dean Smith towards the end of the season he said winning is is the best sticking plaster you can have in football and that's that's a very pertinent phrase at the moment isn't it because Norwich uh, they've just gone nine unbeaten they've lost their first game but actually it kind of felt like even throughout that nine game run that they were probably nine games without a win rather than nine games um, without defeat it's it's a weird feeling at this moment in time kind of where Norwich City are and the feeling around it and how people are feeling towards it because there's a real lack of you can use whatever word you want connection um, willingness buy-in you can you can use whatever you want to to kind of describe what it is but it's hard to shake that feeling that there's just something not there or there's something not right or that people aren't quite warming to what they're trying to do and I, I don't really know what the answer is to that well I mean the, the sticking plaster uh, analogy is a great one I've forgotten about that because at the minute he's raiding the medicine cabinet on quite a regular basis when you'd hope what had happened is that the the wounds which on which he's, he's applying those plasters <laughs> had healed and that they you know they wouldn't there would be no need to record I don't know why I'm going down this medical tangent but you've got to uh, keep it up now yeah <laughs> but uh, there'd be no need to go to the medicine cabinet and continue with the plasters because everything would be rosy um, so you know whether that is a very laboured attempt to sort of uh, underline that things aren't right and they're not going to be right unless something and that's why I you know that's why I was delighted to see that opening 15 20 minutes mm. salvo because that was the first time this season probably I felt yeah we get it I get it this is I mean to, to take Tam, Sam's point about you you knew what a Farker peak Farker was about and w- the players knew more importantly but also the, the fan base knew because it, they were educated by that man in terms of this was what a Norwich team is all about and do you think that's what it is then do you think it's a yeah. lack of education about what they're trying to do well, not education in terms of you know the, communication maybe then. yeah uh, yeah well I mean do do those players and, and do they do they actually know what that head coach wants from them because 
it cannot be game after game after game. And even after that 15, 20 minutes today, the remainder of it was more of the same disjointed um, a sense that you know that the players themselves aren't sure what's being asked of them or what they're trying to do, how they're trying to progress the ball, how they're going to try and break down the types of defensive organisation they're facing. To to happen every single game, pretty much, you know that questions, you know Smith and his coaches and their ability to communicate. What what is it that they want? And, and Sam's also right to point out: is it just this pragmatic? The end goal is next May they're in the Premier League and we don't care how we get there or what it looks like. We just need to get there. And In which case, it's going to be a very bumpy but then um, even journey. Even that is a real departure from what well, had been communicated and what had been, and what had been presented to Norwich City fans when, when the change of structure initially it sort of occurred. When, when Webber went in originally. Yes, yeah. yeah, well, well, that died for me when Farker left or was dismissed, to be accurate, because him and Webber were... The engine of of that completely radical at that time, certainly for Norwich, but more broadly in the English game at the top end, you know, direction of travel and um, bold and innovative and ahead of the curve in many respects. And it delivered. It delivered where it mattered most, not in bricks and mortar around Colney and the infrastructure, but in terms of promotion winning teams and the first time around with a very attractive brand of football. But now once Farker left, that was, and, and then Smith was appointed, you know, that. There's no way anybody, I think, could say that Dean Smith as a coach and his philosophy is a clone of Daniel Farker. So that, for me, and I wrote about it at the time, the the, the ideological, philosophical, almost element to the Norwich project that died with Farker, I'm afraid, in that dressing room at Brentford. Um, and so, so yeah, maybe that element about communicating that um, hasn't been achieved, you know. Um, we could have another podcast about the club's communication strategy at the moment and where Archer fit into that, but we'll part that for now. But you know, quite clearly, if if that if that is a a different change of tone and emphasis and departure in terms of what Norwich fans should expect about what their teams are going to produce and what their teams are about, they haven't communicated that because I said it earlier. But how quiet was that place today, um, and has been? Yeah. Has been for too long, and it's going to take more than a manufactured drummer to improve the was, ambience actually, around that place. There was actually one stage just after the second half where the only crowd noise you could hear was just people having conversations. Yeah. And, and I'm not being critical of those people, but it just summed, it just summed everything up for me. It kind of felt like the football was happening, yeah, but people weren't, yeah, weren't with it. If that makes sense. I mean, I know again, it's, I think the attendance was recorded at twenty six thousand plus, but how how empty was it five ten minutes before kickoff? You know, there must have been a lot of revelry going on in the bars, is all I'd say, um, because there was plenty of empty seats. And um, obviously, they did eventually turn up. But, you know, there is a there is a weariness around it all, quite clearly. And um, that's troubling when you're 12, 13 games into a new season. You know, I know, again, you know, the, the, the counter for those who, who are not having that and are, are firmly in the other camp is that the results tell you that there has been a sea change and there has been a, a mentality shift. Um but those underlying concerns aren't going to go away until you actually see a performance levels of a, of a consistent nature, but also an actual style and a philosophy emerging. You know, we heard from Dean Smith that there'd be these four guiding principles about what his Norwich teams were going to be all about. Well, can we actually sit down and name what those four are? Because it's, for me, I'm not quite sure what they're still trying to do, what, what a Norwich team, certainly with the ball, is all about. And... Uh, you know, conversely, and Preston again underlined it today, you know, Reading earlier in the week, um, these opponents are, are, are looking 
pretty easily to decode what Norwich are all about. And that, that's a concern, that's a worry if if they can be counteracted and nullified quite as easily as it appears at the moment. So, you know, I don't blame the fans because, you know, they've been told this was going to be, uh, you know, a full-on assault. And yes, at the minute, the league table looks pretty healthy and suggests that is the case. But, you know, surely anybody who's, who's watched Norwich regularly this season would would be hard-pressed to say that, Yep, they're playing in a style and a fashion and a brand of football that is going to carry them back to the Premier League. Yeah, and bring people with them on that journey as well yeah. at this moment in time, which which probably maybe leads leads me to have a, a little bit of a whinge, which is what I wanted to do, just about the way they chased the game, which for me was just um, staggering, really, to just turn to a bench and to just... How many attacking midfielders have we got? Are you an attacker? Yeah, on you go. On you. It was just, there was no structure. There was no plan. It was just chucking bodies on, as you said earlier, just chucking pieces onto a chessboard, hoping that that would somehow work or that something would pop up. And that, for me, is just really poor coaching, I'm afraid, because you, you can't just throw players onto a pitch without a structure, without a system, and just expect something to click or something to happen. Maybe it, maybe it would for for one in in ten instances. But that's that's not how you win football matches on a consistent basis. That's not what teams who get promoted do. Just to throw players on for the sake of throwing players. And actually, they had so many players in the same positions at times that it was actually detrimental to what they were trying to do from an attacking perspective. I looked up at one stage. There were there were six players just stood on the edge of the box, pretty much in a line. It was it was incredible. You, if you're going to chase a game, you need to have, do something to chase a game rather than just simply throwing on as many technical attacking midfielders as you've got, hoping that one of them will find the pass or unpick the lock. That's just that's just really poor for for, for me, and that's that's my little moan out of the way. But Sam, as we said, this is, this is a really weird debate because everything that you look at in terms of points, position in the league table. Statistics. Dean Smith reeled off one about having the most shots on on Friday as a defence of people who called them pragmatic. Expected goals. I think they're fourth in in, in various expected goals models that I've I've seen. Which, to be fair, is not a million miles away from where you'd probably place them if you were if you're going to sort of amass your own league table based on performance. But there there is a camp, and we've said this, and and rightly so. Who will look at the points? Will look at Dean Smith's brief and say, well. They're in the top two. What what more do people want from from this Norwich City team? It's it's it, it's a hard argument to kind of shake off when we're having this when we're having this discussion about performance. But I guess it's it's kind of the point that, as we kind of said earlier, performances and results often eventually come back to a line. And, and I guess that's the fear that many people have. And also the stuff around connecting and and the feeling and the buy in. People just aren't having it, I suppose. And you can get as many points as you want, but ultimately, if you're trying to be successful, as Daniel Farker said many times, as as other people at, at the football club have said before, you need togetherness, and it doesn't feel like that is that's present at this moment in time for all of the reasons that we've discussed, and probably will continue to discuss until we do see something tangible to to get our teeth into to suggest that the the page is turned. Yeah, exactly, and uh, we know for sure that if Norwich do fall off, there's going to be a hell of a load of I told you so is going on among the fan base because a lot of people have predicted this. But it, but even that, even the the kind of constant conflict that the fan base is in at the moment is not is not healthy. Yeah, it's bizarre to have a a fan base so split um, at such a, a supposedly good time for the football club in terms of results. But you know, I think there's a very simple explanation as to how they're somehow coming by these points, and it's because this league is dead poor. I can't I can't remember seeing a 
a worse championship, to be honest. I, I can't remember seeing Norwich play so routinely poor opposition and I can't remember seeing Norwich be so poor and get away with it so often. Um, so I think the reason why they are where they are is because well, they're, just, they're getting away with it, really, and they're playing in a way that they can afford to in the championship. Now, that doesn't mean that that's their ceiling. You look at their squad of players and just the, the substitutions they make compared to those made by the opposition... Um, it's almost embarrassing, really, the the difference in quality that they have in this league. Um, so you'd hope that at some point, and um, you know, we always frame the debate in this way, and, and I can't believe it's taken this long in the podcast to get round to this point, but everything is wrapped in the context that the goal is to stay in the Premier League long term. And just doing enough to get out of this terrible championship really isn't enough it's not going to get close to be to being good enough for Premier League survival. Um, and in my view, if they play how they have in the first thirteen games in the Premier League, they're going to get absolutely ruined again in the in the Premier League, and they're going to be relegated again with with no doubt. So, yeah, I think it is it is quite worrying. Um, not only obviously the the things on on the pitch, and but the mood off it, and I suppose you have to give some some credit to people that have that view and that positivity regularly to be behind the team and we've often discussed the atmosphere and said that probably needs to improve at Carrow Road so who are we to say you know be more negative and be more realistic and be less naive you know perhaps Norwich do do need that support but it needs to come I feel from a, a genuine place and I don't think you're going to get too many fans of watch football for for much time at all that are genuinely going to be able to say, I think this Norwich team is good enough to stay in the Premier League and I'm going to support them and, and do what I can to get behind them in doing that. Um, because based on this current level of performance, it's just not realistic. The good news is that they've got 33 more championship games, a couple of cup games and probably a pre-season um, of a lot of transfers that they could do that if they do end up being promoted, that they could make those changes um once they go into the Premier League, but the track record isn't good. You know, you look at two two summers beforehand. One, yes, they didn't really have the, the money to spend, but even within those parameters, they've been successful before and, and they struggled to find... I mean, Sam Byron was the best buy of that summer and, you know, he looks now like a pretty sturdy championship option um, when he's not injured. And then, obviously, last summer, the disaster of a, a, a recruitment window that was has been spoken about. A lot, so you know, there's a lot to be worried about, and I'm not just trying to be a, a fear monger. And I do totally understand people that are saying this is a bit weird, sort of thing. You know, Norwich are second in the league, and we're talking regularly about how bad things are. Um, and I do want to give give them credit for being where they are, and points are important. But you know, once again, it always just comes round to could this team survive in the Premier League? And if you'd asked us that after every single game of the season so far, every single time we would have said. Well, I would have said at least absolutely no chance. Yeah, and to, to add context to that, uh, Sheffield United, who are, who are top of what lost two of, of the last three, haven't they? There's yeah. a, draw, a draw in there as well. You've got Watford, who lost at Blackpool. Their fans aren't particularly happy at the moment. Burnley are, are on a bit of a process. You've got various teams in there who, who probably aren't particularly happy. No one's really grasped this championship yet, and there's probably no real fan base who's 100% happy with where they sit or where they are or how their team's doing at the moment. It's a very strange division. And what you said in terms of quality is right. But, uh, you know, it's a different pod about kind of the structure of football and why this is the case. But 
I think we're we're seeing the effects of Brexit, of COVID, of um, just the financial climate of the game at the moment, and how that is affecting the quality of of the football. Um, you know, if there, if there is anyone maybe who who felt that simply just winning would be enough to turn the page on some of the feeling and some of the frustrations and some of the, the, the disconnect even that perhaps some people felt last year. I think they've they've probably had a, a fairly rude awakening in, in the opening 13 games that that, that isn't the case. Um, and, you know, when you wrap the context around it and the points and the league position and various statistics, absolutely. But it is still hard to shake, even, you know, looking at that and praising that as, as I think we have done throughout all of uh, all of this season and, uh, and on various podcasts. It's just hard to shake that feeling that, there's just something off or something missing or um, something that needs to come from somewhere that just needs to, I think, lift everyone a little bit. It still feels a little bit gloomy. Um, and we'll we'll see, I think, as we said, in this month with the run of games they have, just which direction it goes. Important not to overreact after after one defeat. Um, Pad, Gabriel Sara, he obviously came on at half-time for Sam Byram, who, who went off with a hip injury. Um thought he did quite well, actually. It probably feels... I mean, I know he kind of had the opportunity against West Brom and that didn't perhaps necessarily go in the way he would have liked, but it seemed to inject something into Norwich City's midfield that was maybe lacking, an athleticism, a, a, a sort of dynamic nature to it. The timing of the runs into the box were excellent. See his goal for that. It just seemed to, to add an extra dimension to what they were doing. Yeah, 100% agree with that. Um, I think the difference with the West Brom game... Well, A, was the West Brom approach and how effective they were but I don't think he had that defensive insurance in behind him he, clearly today he's, he's got a player like Gibbs in there and and that did afford him a bit more licence um, and that is his natural game that goal typified it his first goal in Norwich Colours you know the timing of the run to arrive perfectly and then the, the calmness really nice finish clipped it left foot close range top bin and uh, yeah Norwich need plenty more of that from their midfielders and um and the fact, you know, I mean, he got on today. If he hadn't got on today and have got beat, I can guarantee you one of the major post-match themes would be what on earth have they bought that man for? Because, um, you know, why can't? how can he not now with all the injury issues behind him, you know, arriving with that ankle rehab, advanced but nowhere near good uh, at the stage where he could have gone and hit the ground running like Nunes did. Um, but by this stage, you'd have thought he, he should be smashing down the door and maybe that's a byproduct of this debate about you know what is Dean Smith trying to do with his midfield and his forward players, um, that he can't accommodate a player who they paid considerable amounts for Norwich this summer round anyway. And you know with his pedigree and, and the fact that he was playing at a very good level in Brazil as well, um, yet seemingly wasn't good enough to oust a Kenny McLean or a... You know, Nunes himself or Dowell or Sanani earlier in the season and you know I, I, that for me in terms of the the drive to win over any sceptical Norwich fans out there I think more sights of Gabby Zara in the Norwich midfield breaking into the box and scoring goals and setting things up as you say there was one or two really nice really intelligent almost balls around the corner there was one he played through for Pookie just his awareness his spatial awareness of where he was on the pitch and seeing the pictures before the ball arrived at him it just everything was a notch above you know certainly what you'd expect at this level and for me I'm sorry but he needs to be in that Norwich midfield and I don't care, care how Dean Smith constructs that midfield but in an area where they are deficient um, 
he needs he needs to be in there because I think he would offer something if he's given a a, a run of games. It, what what use is it to him to come in for a start and then come out again for a game and then maybe come in for forty five minutes today and then the Watford team sheet drops next Saturday evening and he's back on the bench again. I don't think that's aiding his adaptation to to English football. Um, they clearly felt a lot of him. The fact that they went out and brought him in and paid the money they did for him. So if you felt that way in terms of the recruitment and the identification of the talent, give him a go. Give him a go because that midfield isn't functioning week to week more often than not. And uh, and we saw enough, albeit in that 45-minute cameo, albeit in a losing effort as it turned out. I think it was four minutes between his equaliser and you know Preston's winner as it turned out. But um, yeah, I, I think I think he would he would embellish what Norwich are trying to do. In terms of the offensive midfield elements, you know they still obviously have to work on the structure defensively and whether Gibbs is the answer until or including Hayden's return. But certainly offensively through midfield areas, that isn't functioning properly either. You know Dow's had an opportunity, Sonani's had an opportunity, Ramsey's been off it the last couple of games now, having looked like he was um, he was getting to the pitch of it in the Championship. Nunes has been off it for the last game, possibly the last two games as well. So what's there to lose by starting Gabby Zara at Watford? I would agree. It was uh, interesting to speak to him via a translator after the game. Um, his Portuguese was was a lot better than mine, obviously, um, but uh, it was just a, quite a surreal conversation to speak to someone through someone. Um, maybe not the best sort of circumstances for an interview, but there we go. Maybe I need to brush up on my Portuguese. That's uh, that's what I'm going to say. Um, Sam, Tim Cruel, hard to sort of not reopen that conversation, isn't it? Because Angus Gunn, since that uh, sort of man of the match performance, Leicester possibly, um, has, he, has he played a minute since Leicester? Top. Yeah. No, he came out for Tottenham, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Was that the one before? Yeah, it was Wolves. He played against Wolves, didn't Wolves he? Wolves was after Leicester, yeah. yeah so was it? That would have been his last game. So he's, he's played very few minutes of league football since that kind of good run of Premier League games. Tim Krull, uh, I'd have to watch the third one back, which I haven't done yet, to fully assess whether he could have kept it out. My initial feeling is he he, he stepped one way, and when you do that as a goalkeeper, it's quite hard to lunge. But he did get two hands on it, which is which is the reason why maybe it, it felt like he probably should have done better. But the second goal is is very poor. It's hard to not push that at Tim Krul's door when you've got uh, a ball put between Liam Gibson and Max Aarons and. Um, uh, and Fernandez, who I thought was excellent, to be fair for Preston, um, managed to to sneak in on it. And both of the players were kind of looking at each other, but it was actually the pass that was that was probably the problem. Let's reopen that debate, Sam. Is is it time to 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 give Angus a, a run of games at this point? Because these these maybe aren't necessarily isolated incidents. We've seen a few from from Tim Cruz. He's also seen some very good saves as well. And there was a, a good one on Tuesday night from Andy Carroll. Where, where do you think that debate is at this moment in time between the two goalkeepers that Dean Smith himself has admitted there's not too much between beyond probably experience? Yeah, I find it very strange. I mean, on two counts, really, if it was any other position on the pitch and uh, there was this little difference between two of them, there's absolutely no way we'd see Tim Krull starting over Angus Gunn so regularly. I suppose that's a bigger, that's a much bigger discussion in football over why... Um, teams are so reticent to to change their goalkeepers more often, but also, what what was Angus Gunn promised when he signed for Norwich? If it wasn't that he'd feature in these sorts of scenarios, you know, it's like, in my opinion, given the fact that he was a number two at Southampton, I think might have been maybe number three, or he was in he, he was in a mix of three at Southampton. 
in the Premier League, very established Premier League club, and he went to Norwich, um, who had certainly, you know, they'd been promoted and the ambition around the club at the time was very high and, and they certainly thought it was, they were capable of staying in the Premier League. But, you know, make no bones about it, there was certainly a chance that they could have got relegated and Angus Gunn went there as a number two. And I think there's no way he does that. Obviously, I, I can't say for sure, but I think there's no way he does that unless he feels there's a real good chance and somebody's told him there's a real good chance he, he ends up being the number one pretty soon. And I could understand if there's quite a lot of frustration from him, as you said. His his last thing in a he did in an Orange shirt was to be really impressive in the Premier League, and um, that's not something you can say about well pretty much anyone in the squad at the moment really, and it does feel like quite a bizarre um, situation as you said we've seen various um, mistakes by Tim Krul. I thought at the start of the season that I was pretty strongly urging Norwich to to throw Angus Gunn in, and I thought he deserved it, but. Cruel to be fair to him, improved his performances and I thought actually pulled off some really key saves in that unbeaten run. But last few games, I think there are a couple of things he maybe could have done better. It, it's maybe slightly harsh, but um, you could maybe pick holes in that Jeff Hendrick goal on um, Tuesday night. Obviously, the enormous error to gift Preston that second goal um, with a very poor pass today. And then, as you said, he does get two hands on, on that deflected Troy Parrott cross so I, I think he'll be disappointed with it yeah but I, I don't know having watched it back if that's particularly harsh if it, it kind of feels like he probably should have done better with it maybe it is harsh but you have to remember the goalkeepers are all about small moments and small differences and perhaps if it was a midfield player who had who had played 60 70 successful passes and, and had a pretty good game and then made a small error it would be harsh to judge them on that one small error but goalkeepers are there and they know they're there to to maybe be significantly tested three or four times in a game and they're trusted to get most of those right if not all of them right and and when you make even a small error as a goalkeeper you're going to be judged and that's fair because that's the job that they know they've got to do um you know Krul's experienced enough to know that and he's experienced enough to know that he'll be getting criticized no matter how small the error so I do feel a little bit for Angus Gunn and um I I wouldn't be against him um, being tried out at least in the next few games. I don't think he's really let let Norwich down at any point, to be honest. Over his um, two sort of senior spells with the club, but the way that Dean Smith operates, um, we've spoken before about how important it is to him to have an experienced um, spine to the team. He likes to have obviously Tim Krul in there, Grant Hanley, Kenny McLean, um, Taylor Pookie up front, and he likes to have that. I think for leadership reasons and experience reasons as much as anything. Um, but you look at it, any other position on the pitch and would Angus Gunn have been given a chance? I think the answer is yes. Um, and perhaps those doors are sliding on his future as a potential Norwich City future number one. Um, so if I was Dean Smith, I'd, I'd want to throw him in there as soon as I possibly could. Um but I don't think that's the way that he sees things. So I would still be surprised if we saw Angus Gunn on the team sheet um, next Saturday at Watford, to be honest. Yeah, it's still a bit of a taboo in football, isn't it? Changing your goalkeeper. Um, certainly a much more kind of high-profile decision to change any other player. But as you as you rightly say, there's a uniqueness to it, I suppose, and and, and the type of position that it is. And Pad, just, on, just finally on the game, um, there was obviously the moment late on when Norwich... Thought they'd equalise. Kenny McLean had had that strike. The referee had in fact 
blown his whistle um, before. I think Kenny McLean struck the ball. I'm, I'm slightly hard of hearing, so I didn't hear it, but uh, other people have told me that that's, that's the case. Um, it was obviously for the Grant Hanley incident in the middle, which I initially... It's one of those, isn't it? it immediately slipped into cliches, and I'm going to slip into that. It's one of those where if it was not inside the box, then does it get given? But it was inside the box, and it, I suppose it was given, but it didn't look too much in it at the time, and um, Dean Smith quite angry about it post-match. Yeah, he basically said Grant took a left hook and showed what a good chin he's got. So that tells you what he thought, although he did concede that Grant was also handling his opponent. Um, but, you know, if, if if it was the case that it was essentially two players grappling each other, I'm not sure why the decision goes in the Preston players' favour. But, but, but having seen the replay behind the goal, he very much did blow before the balls even arrived at Kenny McLean. It wasn't one of those that he blew after the event. Um but Dean Smith was very unhappy uh, with that incident, um, but also with the officials uh, generally he, um, and the time-wasting tactics suppressed and he was very bullish. He said he went in to speak to the officials about that very aspect after the game. Quote, if they'd have put 20 minutes up on the board, that wouldn't have been uh, long enough. So I think that, I think that's more of a general, I think he feels that this season, you know, too often Norwich have been in games where opponents have tried to be running down the clock and maybe that was the tipping point for him today. Um, yes, Preston were, were using it every every inch of the, of, of the the gamesmanship that they could but ultimately that does fall on the officials and um, you know I mean he blew early he blew early and, and there was grappling so you know you couldn't say that was a horrendous mistake on his part but in terms of as Dean Smith said he didn't give that type of foul anywhere else on the pitch all day long so why did he decide in the 90 whatever minute it was well, I'm guessing because uh, he thought it was a foul. <laughs> yeah, but but Dean Smith's intimating that there was that kind of wrestle, WrestleMania going on all around the pitch during the what game. Was there though? I'm merely reporting what Dean Smith <laughs> no, no, said no, after, well, after the just, game. Just, whether I'm I agree with it or not. Challenging. Um, well, I mean, the reality is I don't recall too much of that type of. Uh, if anything, grappling. you might argue that Norwich got quite fortunate with the Byram challenge in the yeah. first half because I think if VAR again if VAR but if VAR would have had a look, to, a look at that I think he might have been in trouble in, in that situation well yeah I mean, it didn't, didn't look a good challenge and we saw the replays and thankfully the lad's foot was in the air at the moment mm-hmm. of impact otherwise it, it could have been a very bad one um, but yeah I mean ultimately if that goal goes in and Norwich escape with a draw I think uh, they, they're probably I don't know, maybe they had deserved just about in terms of the chances they created in that first 15, 20-minute burst. But overall, you, you couldn't begrudge Preston going away with the three points. So I think I think maybe that incident was more of a magnifier for, for Dean Smith's overall frustration. Um, you know, he used the word annoyed about six or seven times in his post-match. Everything from that incident to the time-wasting in his view to the softness of the goals his side conceded to the fact that they basically let Preston back in after that very positive start. So I think that was that was probably uh, a decision that you wouldn't really put in the contentious category. Um, but clearly Dean Smith, straight after the game, very, very frustrated, disappointed, angry with phrases he was using. So, yeah, he was obviously uh, turning his ire as much on the officials as his own players. Yeah, I felt a little bit deflectiony to me, got to be honest. Um, it, 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 you can tell him that next time. Uh, I, will, I will, I will, I will. I'm sure, I'm sure he'll take to it kindly. Um, but to be fair, Paul Heckenbottom made a very similar point in terms of time-wasting. Uh, and I think he suggested something like cutting the game down to 60 minutes, 
which is an interesting proposal. Um, but I think his point was basically that, that fans come and watch football and, and not time-wasting. But if you're top of the league at this level, you have to expect that teams are going to come here. And if they do have a lead, they are going to employ every uh, every dark art that you can to try and nick something. I don't really have a problem with it, to be completely honest. Um, but there we go. Sam, it's uh, an interesting month for Norwich. They're not afforded a lot of time to work or to recover quite frankly they've got a full week this week um dean smith actually i was sort of stood next to to chris gorham when he was speaking to dean smith post-match and put that point to him would you would you do you want the week would you rather have a game and he he kind of said he'd prefer to have a game on the tuesday almost so they could get that out of their system which is maybe quite interesting but could be quite important i think it's fair to say this week in terms of actually getting the players on the grass and, and working with them a little bit because it's not an opportunity that he's probably been afforded in in recent weeks, especially because the international period, not break, um, saw a lot of Norwich players probably elsewhere. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And if we're going to discuss performance as a weakness and something they need to improve on, how do you do that? Probably by getting out on the training pitch and trying to um, transmit your ideas to to your players. And as you said, it's probably been a, a long time since he's been able to have that full week with his players and... Um, it's not a luxury you're afforded regularly in the championship, let alone in a season when they've got to uh, to account for a World Cup in the middle of the season. So, yeah, you you hope that it will do them some good and that he will be able to get some more solid ideas into them and that the players will know exactly what they're expected to do when they get out onto the Vicarage Road um, pitches, a place where they had success last year, obviously, and very much looked like they knew what they, they wanted to do. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it and looking forward to hopefully seeing a a team that's that's well coached and, and knows exactly what it's doing. I think Smith also tried to introduce some new tactical ideas today as well in terms of that, um, he said 4-3-1-2 that he, uh, he tried to introduce um, this afternoon and it actually did go well for, for quite some time. So if he's managed to produce that with the probably two days training that they had since Reading, um, then you hope that he might be able to work on it and... Uh, it might be able to produce a similar performance across a, a longer period um, at Watford. But yeah, not only that, also obviously the probably the rest. And you look at somebody like, well, I was going to say Sam Byram, he's obviously gone off injured and maybe looks unlikely to feature at Watford. But there will be others who have had fitness fitness issues in, in recent weeks. Liam Gibbs, obviously, you know, has, it doesn't feel like it because he's played key roles in, in several games since. But it's only been a couple of weeks since he returned from... Um, a sort of mid-term injury to his ankle ligament. So there will be a few players in that squad who will be quite glad of a rest from the relentless competitive championship schedule and will probably benefit from this week of work. But I don't think there's any aspect that will that needs it more than probably the performance as a team. And um, I think Dean Smith and most Norwich fans, if they can show the signs of that at Watford, will be very pleased. Random tangent. Um, I was thinking during the game actually. Liam Gibbs reminds me awfully of David Fox in that position. I think it's a bit before my era. I think like I, I remember. Uh, I'll, throw it to, I'll throw it to Pad then. But, yeah. yeah. No, I remember. I remember seeing Fox in sort of highlights and stuff. But this was before I was. I was really going to matches. There was, and... there was one pass in particular today where he played it through to Pookie. It was very oh, David was Foxy. Very good, yeah. Well, I mean, and that was a critical juncture because that was two 0 But but instead, he's very poor by his standards. Missed it, and within a minute or so, it's the equaliser. So that you know, game big moments within games. But yeah, no, I mean, Dean, I thought Dean Smith encapsulated the Gibbs factor very well on Friday when he mm. said 
he has the attributes to play the sixth role, and that's where they're obviously using him at the minute. No Hayden, in terms of you know his again his spatial awareness. He's always playing looking over his shoulder, which you need to do in that position. When to hold it, when to give it. But and we saw evidence of that. I thought you were going to break into the John Barnes work, though. <laughs> what a what a tune that was. Yeah, what the England one you mean? Yeah, not the Anfield rap. Definitely not the Anfield rap. But uh, you've got to go hold or give. Yeah, <laughs> do it at the right time. Yeah. But um, but what he is is, and I probably agree. I think he's more of an eight than a six because you see his running ability, how he commits players, uh, and his progressive passing range. And, and and yeah, that was encapsulated with that. Lovely threaded ball, perfect weight, perfect timing for Pookie. So, yeah, I can't wait really for Hayden touch, touching wood. If there's any in this room, we can do afterwards. Get him in the side, and that might release Smith to to push Gibbs further forward. And in this kind of matrix of trying to fit the pieces into something resembling a, a, a an actual jigsaw that it, all the places are in the right place, then um, you might find that Gibbs's effectiveness is a bit further forward than he's playing at the minute. Yep, absolutely. And uh, you referenced Isaac Hayden, um, just as I was kind of uh, loitering is the wrong word. That makes it sound a bit a bit dodgy than it was. As I was uh, waiting to, to or setting up rather for, for my video verdict, Norwich were kind of in a mini training session on the pitch. Isaac Hayden was among those involved, full contact, full intensity, good sign. Hopefully um, we'll see him in a Norwich City shirt very, very soon. Uh, we'll, of course, be at Vicarage Road next week. Uh, I think they lost, though, didn't they, against Blackpool, which means Slavan Bilic is probably one game from the sack. So if Norwich can win then uh, they may uh, they may remove another Watford manager from post um, what is it two two Watford managers till Christmas do you reckon three Watford managers we'll, we'll see <laughs> we'll, we'll cross that picture when we come to it thank you very much for listening of course um, plenty more content throughout the week on Pinkin.com and on the Pinkin Plus app as well um, we'll be at the press conference with Vicarage Road all that good stuff enjoy a free week of uh, well non-Norry City related stuff anyway and we'll see you again very very soon <laughs>